0: Well, good morning. Good, morning. good morning. It is wonderful to be here. I was tempted to do a um, get a choreographed dance with me and Rosna to start up. You know, to kind of get us, make me feel more comfortable at home. And I, I put your hand up if you think Brian would would look great doing a backflip on the on the stage. Yes, there it is. There's the vote. The people have spoken, Brian Ross, and the people have spoken. Um, you a forward roll. Uh, for- <laughs> that is not the hook. Oh, you guys are fun. It's going to be fun this morning. Really looking forward to opening up God's Word with you. My name's Steve. Um, just briefly about myself uh, and how I've kind of come to be connected here. Uh, I, I, I got to know Brian. I don't normally talk like that to strangers. But uh, we, uh, uh, I went to Moore College uh, up in Sydney. And there I was, uh, enjoying studies and uh, known affectionately by Brian as his favourite student. Uh, No, 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 he doesn't know what he's talking about, right? Sure, when I turned up the lecture. Anyway, so, uh, um, I'm married to Naomi. I have four children. I like them a lot. They're wonderful. Uh, And I do this rice thing leading this movement of uh, crazy young Asian Australians. You can see they're pretty crazy, but they love Jesus. And that's what we're on about. We're seeing people come to know Jesus that's what we do. We've been doing that for about 15 years on the side and doing other things in between. Uh, right now I'm an itinerant mostly speaking in different places, different cities, different uh, churches around the place on, um, on the weekends. that's what I do. Um, but most importantly today, my, my plan is and my my job is to open up God's Word. I'm not we've got a question and answer time that later, I think, in the week, is that right, on Wednesday or something? Tomorrow, uh, just to share about rice and stuff. So today I'm, I'm really doing what I would love to do the most, which is just open up God's Word and see what He has to say to us. So I, I really, um, I don't know about you, but I, I really do believe that um, when we open up, I hope you're in the right, in the right college here, because I guys, you guys believe this, don't you, that when you open up God's Word, He speaks to us, yes? Yes yeah and I for, for me that is something that that promise that God's word when it goes out doesn't return to him empty amen, amen. that for me is just so great and I, I really think we need to believe that like I I think you know for you guys just be another chapel that's what you're supposed to do it's in your timetable you have got to turn up but really we're going to meet God as his word goes out and by his spirit those words are pressed home into our hearts so you ready for some life change I'm, I'm going to pray that God does that for you and for me let's pray Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that we are able to be here together. And we thank you that your word is living and active. Father, I pray that this won't just be just another chapel service to turn up to. But I really do pray that your word, when it goes out today, as it goes out today, will not return to you empty and I do pray God that today as your word goes out you would press it home deep into our hearts and that you would cause our lives to change and so we pray this father in your name Amen Amen. Uh, put your hand up if you can remember learning to ride a bicycle you remember that moment? Yeah, yeah, apparently it's one of the most powerful memories. Like, apparently you can, for, the, for most people, you can remember that time. Can you remember the, the place you were in when you learned to ride a bicycle? Yeah, yeah, there we go. Can you remember the colour of the bicycle? Pushing it? Can you remember who taught you how to ride a bicycle? Yeah, there we go. You know, apparently it's one of the, the big memories and learn to ride a bicycle is one of those this weird moments. It's kind of a counterintuitive moment, isn't it? When you, when you get onto this weird contraption that you should fall off. But you you learn to stay on it and uh, put your hand off you if you've ever taught someone to ride a bicycle Yeah, well, there's a bit of an age spectrum change there, but there we go uh, <laughs> Cut and split the room, but you know, I, I've got four kids and Now uh, they're nine seven two boys and uh, five and three two girls And I just so that's part of life for a dad and one of those big moments that happen I remember the first time I had to teach one of my kids how to ride a bicycle and I just think I, I Don't know how to do this. No, no one teaches a dad how to do this so I'm up Googling, like, how do you teach a kid to ride a bicycle? What, what do you do? And I just think, this is madness. In the end, I'm essentially going to go and tell my little, so like, take Jacob, for example, he was five years old at the time. And I remember thinking, so I'm taking Jakey out and I'm thinking, I'm about to tell you to trust me in this project, right? And, he, and I remember thinking, I'm about to tell you, Jacob, that your job is to get onto this weird contraption. And he says, okay, what am I going to do, Daddy? And I say, your job is you're just going to pedal, right? You're going to pedal. and just." Don't look down, look forward. And at some point, I'm going to push you. And he looks at me like, why? You know, why are we doing this? You know, and that moment I remember, when, that feeling when he gets on the bicycle and I just, it's like, I can't work out who's more fearful, him or me. Because for me, I know I'm about to do something counterintuitive. I'm about to push this little boy who I like a bit. And I'm about to push him, now, there's a little slope as well, good, good to have a little bit of a little slope, right, just to kind of get the speed up, right, on the way down. And I think, this is, this is, how's this going to work? And so this point, that moment when he gets on the bicycle, and I say, just start pedaling, Jacob, come on, you can do it, just start pedaling, and he's pedaling, and that moment where I'm holding the back of the bicycle, and, and you're kind of running along with him. And you're like, you're doing great, you can do it. And you hear him saying, no, I can't do it. And I say, yes, you can. And I'm like, no, you can't. You know? And he's like, don't let go. I'm like, I won't let go. I'm going to let go. You know? And that kind of thing. And then you can hear that moment when he's starting to pedal. I think, I think he might have got this. And he, and he sees the slope coming. And he goes, there's a hill coming. I'm like, no, there's no hill. There's a hill. Right? And that moment, that crazy moment, which is just... It's oh, a big dad moment, it's just ridiculous when you just kind of think, I think I'm going to let go right now and that moment when you just push and you think, there he goes and off he goes and that moment when he's pedalling, and, and that, that feeling when it finally happens, when he's pedalling, and you hear that little voice and he's like, Daddy, I know it and I'm there going, you can do it and I'm yelling out to the whole park, I'm the best father in the world." And all that kind of moment, that feeling, that moment of, of of pushing him out is unbelievable. You know, it's interesting. Jacob loved bicycle riding; got really into it. He had a little fall. Um, it was decent fall. Got some grazes. Got tangled up in the bicycle. Um, and this is when he was like, you know, five. And what he did was, I didn't never notice it, but the bicycle then went into the garage, and the wheel started getting flat. And it was all about the scooter. And I thought, ah, oh, it's all right. Just go through phases. And after the bicycle sat there, this brand new bicycle behind you, man. cost us some money, man. You know, Asians, has do like wasting money, man. I was like, we bought this bicycle, we get the bicycle out, what's going on, right? And this bicycle, we're in the, in the garage. And I said to him, we're to get the bicycle out. Like you haven't taken the bicycle out for six months. What's happening here? And that moment when my little five year old looks at me in the eyes and with total certainty, says to me, I don't know how to ride a bicycle. And I remember that moment thinking, I said to him, I'm pretty sure I was there when you learned to ride a bicycle. Unless unless it was some other Asian kid I taught in the park. That was you. You can ride a bicycle. I've seen you ride a bicycle. He says, no, I can't. So what happened was he'd taken a four. And because of the four, he'd convinced himself that he can't ride a bicycle. He'd convinced himself that this is too hard and I just don't know how to do that. That's not what I do. And so what happened was the bicycle had gone in the garage, the tires had started getting flat and it's kind of started to collect dust. For us, so many of us, that is a picture of our Christian life of faith. It's a picture of what it looks like for many of us when it comes to stepping out towards what God would have us do. Stepping out to what, towards what it is that God wants. You see, we, 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 there was a, probably a time in your life you can remember when you almost felt invincible. When you almost felt like, oh, I'm just going to go for this. Difference. And then what happens is we hit some hurdles in life. Yeah, We, we have some hiccups. Some stuff starts to happen, things don't go so well sometimes, and the tires of faith start getting parked in the garage and they start getting flat. You know, I'm, I figured this morning, you guys hear so many of these chapel sermons, and I'm thinking, look, I've got a sermon that I could just roll out, but my main plan today is I, I thought, I'm going to have to be really honest and raw with you if that's okay. I, I don't know you, so I can kind of run away anyway afterwards, but I, I thought, I'm going to be raw with you and tell you what it was like for me at college. Is that okay? I'm just going to... Go ahead and try, and you can decide what you think of me after that. But I'll just be honest, and I'll be honest if you'll be honest with yourself and God. I reckon the time in my life that I was most on fire for God, if you want to call it like that, really following whatever He wants me to do in life, was straight after um, high school, or maybe early university. Many of us <coughs> who've had that journey can remember a time like that. And when I went off to college, uh, as I look back at those three years at Moore. Now, let me just put a quick disclaimer out first, really, really quickly. They were great years, right? I learned a lot, and my head was full of a lot of stuff, including one Corinthians and two Corinthians. <laughs> a lot of stuff. But I actually think, if I look back at the periods of my life, weirdly, I knew the most, and I had the most stuff surrounding me. But I'm going to be honest, weirdly, I reckon that was the time that I was most timid for my faith, that I was least out following where God wants me to go. I was least stepping out boldly towards Him. And I don't know why that was. I've got some theories, and maybe you can help me afterwards. But as, as I talk to more and more students, and more and more pastors have gone through college, I hear a similar story. And so I want to know, what does it look like? What would it look like for this bunch of college students at Ridley? To be stepping out forward, to have their ties of faith filled, not such that they, you know, they've kind of had a hard time or a tough essay or a tough time at college, such that they kind of move backwards and step further away from all that is that God wants them to be doing and wants them to be living on and, and, and stepping and, and living His ways. You know, in the passage today, in Exodus chapter 2, uh, we have an incredible scene here and we're going to move through it pretty quickly today. But I want you to see that in terms of the time for God's people that should have been incredibly difficult. In fact, this next level difficult. When you land in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, you know what the context is, right? So the context coming out of Exodus chapter uh, 1, of course, is like, say, verse 22, is that Pharaoh gave this order to all the people, every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. I mean, the whole concept of what we've just, we, we've, we've stepped into, the story in, Genesis, uh, in Exodus chapter 2, we, we're stepping into, a, into genocide, aren't we? Right? There's no other word for it. It's just horrendous. Every single boy taken from their mother. Can you imagine the, the wails, the screams of agony, the horrendous grief that's happening as soldiers and Egyptian army bust into houses and they, and they pull away newborn babies out of their mother's arms and they take these babies and they throw them to Nile. If there's ever a time that God's people should be um, fearful and stepping backwards in their faith in God, it's then. And um, in such troubled times, a couple dares to get married, you see now a man of a tribe of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and you know that line that in the movies is just a fantastic line in real life too, when the baby comes out you, know, you know, hear that joyous line, it's a boy, whole new ramifications, you imagine when the baby comes out and you imagine they've been praying for a girl, most likely, and out comes a boy, it's a boy. The feeling of dread, the horrendous moment when it comes out and there's a boy. And so watch, I mean, it's, it, it, it's amazing there. She became pregnant, she gave, verse two, became, gave birth to a son. And interestingly there, when she saw that he was a fine child, or when she saw that he was good. In fact, the, the, the actual phrase there in the original language is fascinating. It really matches up with another phrase in the in obviously exodus part of one big book you guys know that the pentateuch and so you expect lots of parallels and in genesis chapter one of course there's the phrase and it was good he saw that it was good he saw it was good and there's, there's that phrase popping up again the whole picture of god starting something new I mean, it's interesting that as you look at this passage, we've already gone... See, see the, the, the passage we've gone from genocide, and if you look at it in our eyes, with our eyes, we look at it and we think, this is a disaster. We look at it with God eye, God's eyes, and God, through this woman, through that phrase there, is starting something new. He's starting something good. And you kind of see these two things collide all the way through the passage, because she then takes the newborn baby, you see, and she tries... Verse 3, she, hides, she tries to hide him. She tries to hide him for verse 2, end of verse 2, for three months. Anyone looked after a newborn baby before? You know, that's a, that's a hard thing to do. Hide a newborn baby for three months is not easy. And she could hide him no longer in verse 3. She then got and made a, got, made a papyrus basket. And she took this basket. And I just want you to be in the mother's shoes for a second. Just get into this place. This, in terms of counterintuitive, there is nothing, this goes against every strain of her body every bit of her motherly instinct to take the basket down. Can you imagine that feeling as she takes her newborn baby and puts the baby in this basket, goes out into the reeds and pushes that baby out, most likely out to the river. And as she pushes that baby out, that would go against every bit of her motherly instinct. It's interesting, Pharaoh says, throw the babies into the Nile. You could look at it almost as a I guess i could say as a almost as a creative act of disobedience there she goes she's taken the baby and thrown her baby into the nile and then she sends her her daughter whose name is anyone know miriam and miriam then follows the basket she follows the basket and this is just one of the most Awesome, awesome moments because the basket goes down and as the sister is following the basket you can imagine her thinking, who's going to find this basket? You know like, I mean this is the Nile River, right? Like You know what's in the Nile River, don't you? Crocodiles. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a little creek. But more than that, she's worried, who's going to find this basket? Who is going to be the one? Who's going to... She's like, will it be found? Will it get through Egypt? Will it go out of there? What's going to happen? Oh no, someone's coming. And she thinks, "Is it maybe it's a Hebrew. She looks again, it's an Egyptian, and horror of horrors, who's coming down? The daughter of the man who wants all the babies killed. This is it. You look at it again with our eyes and we think, this is an absolute disaster right now. Everything should recoil in terms of faith and stepping backwards. And we look at this situation and who's coming down? Pharaoh's daughter is coming down. At this point, you have another one of those moments where you look at it with your eyes and think, absolute disaster recoil, play safe, play risk-averse, stick backwards, don't do that. And what happens is you look at it with God's eyes and actually if you see the word, words there, Pharaoh's daughter there in verse 6, there's a few things there. She actually does four things. She comes down, she sees the baby, she, has, she hears and sees the baby, she has compassion on the baby and then she draws him out. Right. Do you see those verbs, those things that are happening on the way? All those words, as you know, if you look at it from God's perspective, you know, you know, you know some of you already know what's going on there, right? Israel is seen as, as God's who? Son. And what happens is what? There's a little picture that's happening right there, because right there you see God comes down towards his son Israel, yes? He hears their cry, then he sees his son, he has compassion on his son Israel, and then what? He draws Israel out of egypt and so what you see there is this beautiful parallel these two things that are coming together and then i'll tell you what miriam she then runs in at that moment i have to speed through this but i'll tell you what miriam's holding uh, the pharaoh's looking at the baby and the baby's crying and probably hungry at this point miriam i mean she is a fasting she meant if you want to have put your hand up if you've got a sister so you want to put your hand up if you think your sister's smart? No, don't, don't do that. Right. <laughs> I tell you what, this girl, she's genius. She, she's probably Asian. No, no. <laughs> she is so smart, I'm telling you. She is so quick. She's so street smart. Do you know what she does? Straight away, she jumps in. And, the, and the, there's the fairest daughter thinking, oh, this baby needs food. And there jumps in, and there goes Miriam. She jumps in and goes, oh, looks like the baby needs food. I, I know exactly the woman who might be ready to feed a newborn baby right now. And she says, would you like me to go and fetch you? And, the, and Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, go and fetch, go and get someone to nurse this baby for me. And, and I'll pay her to do that. I mean, it is an inc- absolutely extraordinary moment where a mother who just moments ago was you know, in poverty, with tears, kissing her baby goodbye, just moments later has her baby back in her arms, given to her by the one who wants to kill her child. And now paid to do it. <laughs> and you're supposed to laugh like that. You're supposed to look at that and think, there it is. This is God working through this situation. I mean, now the mother's paid to look after her own kid. I mean, that's every mother's dream, right? Paid to look after children. children. <laughs> like, and, and the mother has to give up the baby again, right? So as the baby gets to kind of weaning age, maybe of age five or six, they say, uh, would have had to bring him back to Egypt and they called him Moses. And so there's a story. What's this story about? What's the word today for you guys? Why are you in chapel this morning? Because I have to be here. Wrong. God knew you were going to be here.